0: Welcome to the Neil Garfield Show, a presentation sponsored by the Living Lies blog, GTC Honors, LendingLies.com, and the Garfield Firm, servicing all 50 states and 24 countries with news and analysis about the largest economic crime in human history. This program is for general information only and should not be used as a substitute for legal advice or consultation with a licensed professional. This show is not intended as a solicitation for the engagement of any services. And now, presenting world-renowned author, trial lawyer, CLE lecturer, and court-approved expert witness on securitization of death, Neil Garfield.
1: End it early. Hi, this is Neil Garfield, and this is Thursday, April 14th, 2022. I'm broadcasting live from Duval County, Florida. Hopefully you all can hear me because I'm testing out some new equipment. So for years, I have been using and promoting strategies and tactics in court that enable homeowners to win in the end. Now, I am focusing my energies on developing and using strategies and tactics that enable homeowners to win at the beginning where they should win. This is the start of a new phase of resources and analytics I have aggregated and developed for homeowners and consumers over the last 16 years. It is aimed at the one thing that stops homeowners from litigating, the perception that they can get in a costly court battle for years. I've collated strategies performed by other lawyers, and I've developed several of my own that can and do shorten litigation to months instead of years. Listen up. This is how homeowners win. And for the faint-hearted who give up when the stupid offers are made, This is how lawyers get settlements on very favorable terms. Aggressive litigation means that the lawyer or pro se litigant uses every tool in the box to force the opposition onto its heels or out of the courtroom. The name of the game in foreclosure defense is kicking your opposition out of the courtroom as early as possible before getting mired down in a prolonged war. You should always look for ways to terminate the case early because it's the difference between night and day. A case that ends early could involve only a few thousand dollars in attorney's fees and a few months' time maybe as much as eight months or even a year. A case that ends up in a long-term war can cost tens of thousands of dollars and span many years. I've got one case. We're in our 14th year. Tonight, I will share my thoughts on strategies and tactics that will likely put your opposition on its heels, and probably result in an outright win for homeowners. No guarantees here. And virtually all consumers who have a written contract calling for installment payments. As always, we start with the premise that virtually all installment transactions are the subject of securitization, which means that securities are issued and sold. But That doesn't mean that the transactions themselves were loans or that those transactions were securitized. That's very hard for most people to get their head around. Anybody from the world of finance can easily get their head around that. For the past 16 years, I have published chapter and verse how the presumed debt is extinguished in the process of securitization and i have enjoyed considerable success along with dozens of other lawyers who basically attacked the essential components of claims to administer collect or enforce an alleged debt a debt that does not exist in a nutshell There is no debt because none was intended by the counterparty to your transaction, who, by the way, was not who you thought it was. The basic mistake that I think I made in promoting educational materials was that was ignoring or not capitalizing on the many opportunities that exist under the rules of procedure, to create an existential challenge to the claims. Even if you lose doing it, you're establishing your narrative. And I think, although I have discussed the defense narrative ad nauseum, don't think I emphasized enough the ways that you get control of the narrative in the courtroom. Put simply, if there is no claimant or plaintiff, then there is no claim at all. If that is true, then why do we need to wait to the end and spend tens of thousands of dollars in legal fees to get to that point? Or perhaps more to the point, why must homeowners lose their homes to such false claims simply because they lack the resources to contest them? So in tonight's show, we will visit and revisit some basic strategies that I believe will work most of the time and which could shorten the litigation period shortly, substantially, I mean. Here is the agenda. First, the administrative strategy with qualified written request, debt validation letter, complaint to the CFPB, and complaint to the state AG. No, it is not futile. It's a building block. Motion to dismiss and or motion for more definite statement. No, it is not futile. It's a building block in establishing the defense narrative. Offer of judgment and the letter explaining it and the notice of service. That is an early thing to do, which flips the current law such that when you win, If you win, you will get attorney's fees. The AMGAR strategy, closely related to the offer of judgment, make them an offer they can't refuse, but they will refuse. The motion to strike the exhibits and witnesses, plenty of reasons to do that, and by bringing it to the judge's attention, it it reveals that the other side is just playing games. Motion for specific mediation order requiring the claimant or plaintiff to appear through an officer employed by the claimant. You've got these cases, U.S. Bank, Deutsche Bank, Bank of New York, Mellon. They never show up in court for anything, and they don't show up for mediation, even though the administrative orders and the judge's orders require them to do so. Then you have interlocutory appeals. That's an interesting strategy to employ because it hangs up the litigation while that issue is being litigated. And if the judge has made a mistake, there are many rules of procedure that allow you to... to File the notice of appeal immediately. <coughs> a combined request for admission and request for production. That's the the uh, strategy that I prefer. It basically focuses on a request for admission, and then asks them to produce documents that justify their admission or their denial interrogatories that ask them all about their admissions, their denials and the production of records motion to compel because they're never going to answer motion for sanctions because they never followed the court order motion in limiting prevent them from entering any evidence because they didn't answer basic questions about the case. And finally, a motion for summary judgment. These are strategies that have not adequately been explored and which I think should be explored. Remember that in 28 minutes of talk time on this show, I can only give an overview of these strategies and with rare exceptions. Don't try to do this on your own. This is technical. And you do need a lawyer who is licensed in the jurisdiction in which your property is located. There is no guarantee that any of these strategies will succeed, even if they have worked in the past. We provide assistance to local counsel, and that seems to have a value. I am planning on expanding this to a two-hour CLE seminar, uh with the initial credits from Florida, and the usual thing is we we get the same two credits in 25 other states. Uh, we might allow homeowners to attend. Those people who write in to Neil F. Garfield at hotmail.com, uh, uh, requesting to attend, they will get a hundred dollar discount. The tuition, uh, the, 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 the seminar will include a specific business plan to make money, just as I did that back in 2008, in which many lawyers became millionaires. The tuition for lawyers in all states is $895. For homeowners, if they are allowed in, it'll be $595. It'll be conducted on Zoom at a date to be announced all right so let's go back to our agenda the administrative strategy why send a qualified written request debt valid and debt validation letter well because you're invoking two statutes the real estate settlement and procedures act and the uniform debt collectors procedures act um uh, why is that important because they're supposed to answer and they do they do answer they just don't answer your questions they respond but they don't answer but they usually try to pretend to answer and at least you're getting them in an official in an official correspondence to put themselves on record in writing. Now, when they don't answer, you file a complaint with the CFPB and the state attorney general, who, as we all know, will do nothing. But they do pass along the complaints to the people that are involved, and those people have to answer through the CFPB and with a copy to you. Now the interesting thing is if they lie on that response, that's federal crime. So they tend to be a little bit more uh, truthful in that response, even though they're still not telling you the answer to your basic question, does my loan account exist and if so, who owns it and who has authority over it? <coughs> motion to dismiss or more, a motion for more definite statement. You take the usual case of, let's say, U.S. bank, who's, appear, who's not appearing on its own behalf. It's appearing as a trustee on behalf of Some name that they say is a trust, which in turn, sometimes they add, on behalf of holders of certificates. So the question that should be raised to the court is, who's the plaintiff? Well, if you look down in the body of a complaint in a judicial state, they will say the plaintiff is a national association. But if a plaintiff is the trust It's not a national association. It's just a trust, if it exists at all. So the judge will have more problems once you highlight these issues, that they're not really disclosing who the plaintiff is, who the claimant is. They're just throwing a name against the wall. And because the word bank is included, blindly follow that. Well, that's what the judge is going to do unless you contest it. Now, many times, but not all the time, many times the judge will deny your motion and won't require them to file an amended complaint or whatever, uh, or a more definite statement. But the issue that comprises the entire defense narrative will have been placed in front of the judge. (coughs) Now, in places, you know, that strategy works if it's likely that you're going to have the same judge throughout. In places where they rotate judges, that becomes more difficult. But you want to see if you can get, even if they're denying, you want to see if you can get some specific wording in that order that shows the issue that was presented. Next, the offer of judgment, rarely used, um, and which I'm just starting to use. Basically, there's a variety of ways of doing it, but the simple way and which i'll explore in a video uh i'm going to do a separate video and sell those uh on each of these breakout items the offer of judgment basically says tell you what we'll give you judgment If you produce an officer of U.S. Bank, Deutsche Bank, Mellon, whatever, who acknowledges from personal knowledge that the loan account exists and that the bank is holding it on behalf of this trust. And guess what? I've been doing this for 16 years. I've had... Numerous cases using the AMGAR strategy, which is very close. And they haven't, they've never been able to do that. The the flip side on the offer of judgment is to simply offer a $100 settlement. And the deal is this flips the attorney's fee issue. Right now, it's Heads they win, tails you lose. You file an offer of judgment and win the case, they owe you your fees. The AMGAR strategy, next item on our agenda, is to actually make them an offer they can't refuse. We'll pay you every penny that you're asking for or on failing to do so, we'll give you judgment provided you produce that bank officer that says and shows that the bank is holding the uh, loan account and that it's, uh, that it owns it and it's on its uh, uh, accounting ledgers. Next, motion to strike exhibits and witnesses, often overlooked, In fact, a lot of lawyers don't even read the pretrial order, which sometimes is issued very early in litigation. Very common tactic. They'll list a bunch of exhibits generically that's not allowed. They're supposed to name the exhibits such that you would actually know which ones they're talking about. And anything they try to introduce that's not named, would be excluded in evidence at trial. Every judge will exclude it. Motion to strike the witnesses, the witness list. Why? Because they gave you 25 names, not one. So you wouldn't have a clue as to who was going to testify. You could do no investigation. That motion is also most often granted. Here's an early one motion for specific mediation order requiring the claimant to appear to an officer employed by the claimant. Now, I have used this to great effect. And any of the practitioners out there and some of the pro se litigants will remember that when mediation was ordered, the only person to show up was the lawyer who never acknowledged that they represented the so-called bank, which they didn't, and some guy who said he worked, or a woman that said they worked for a company that was claimed to be a servicer, but who wasn't actually handling any, Receipts from homeowners or disbursements to creditors. So you ask in a motion, citing the history, that they appear at mediation with an officer of U.S. Bank, Deutsche Bank, Mellon, etc., with personal knowledge. Then you have interlocutory appeals. Each state has its own rules and laws governing interlocutory appeals. Those are appeals that take place before the case is over. (coughs) I want to mention here that your odds on appeal at the end are somewhere between no and void. Except In bankruptcy cases, if the appeal is taken, you have three choices, bankruptcy appellate panel, the circuit court of appeal, or the federal district judge. The appeals taken to the federal district court have a roughly 50% chance of success versus less than 1% for all other scenarios. So it's almost worthwhile thinking about putting that case in a bankruptcy court any way that you can legally do so, because if you get a negative ruling, you have a much better chance of reversing that ruling than in any other scenario. The combined Next is the combined request for admission and request for production. Here, what you're doing is saying, admit that you don't have this loan account. Admit you don't own this loan account. Admit you've never received a penny from this homeowner or any other homeowner, directly or indirectly, because they haven't. That's directed to the named claimant in the situation where securitization is apparent on the of the claim. So by that I mean if it says city mortgage or whatever, that's not apparent from the face of the complaint. But if it says US bank as trustee on behalf of the Sasco Trust. Uh, series 2006-BC6, that's facially obvious. (coughs) Then motion for sanctions, for failure to respond to the court orders requiring them to answer. When you file the request for admission and request for production of documents, and maybe interrogatories at that time, maybe later, you file a motion to compel their answers because they didn't answer. Judge orders them to answer. When they don't answer, you file a motion for sanctions. If you don't do that, you get to trial. You can't use that. You have to get an order before trial saying that They were required by the rules of civil procedure to answer. They were required by an order of the court to answer. They did not do so. The answers that were demanded related to the basic elements of the prima facie case. And finally... A motion in limine, if the sanctions don't already take care of it, blocking them from introducing any evidence relating to the questions you asked in discovery. And you also, somewhere along the line, will have an opportunity to file a motion for summary judgment. I strongly recommend that homeowners do that. Because it flushes the other side out and tells the judge and you what their strategy is for this particular case. (coughs) Sorry about my cough. So I've taken some time off, as most of you know. And the reason I did that is I was rethinking my approach here because although I still have no doubt that everything I've said for the last 16 years is true, and I think I've proven it time and again in court, um, the problem has been that both lawyers and homeowners are intimidated by the process of long-term litigation. And when the banks were successful in influencing the courts and legislatures to prevent the homeowners from obtaining an award of attorney's fees when they won in a situation where they would have to pay attorney's fees when they lost, When that happened, a lot of lawyers dropped out because, their fear, because of their fear of losing money. So I had to come up with a series of strategies, and I have, which I've just outlined to you, in which we attempt to torpedo their case before it, it really gets underway. So I'm going to be focusing on the blog, on radio, and in seminars on how we cut them off at the knees and how homeowners win at the earliest possible. Thanks for being with me. We'll see you probably next week.
0: The opinions expressed on The Neil Garfield Show are those of its hosts and should not be ascribed to any other persons or entities. For more information about Neil, the blog, or upcoming seminars, please visit livinglies.me. Give us a call at 954-451-1230 or send an email to n-e-i-l-f-g-a-r-f-i-e-l-d at hotmail.com. Thank you for listening to The Neil Garfield Show. If the information has helped you, consider making a donation by visiting livinglies.me.